0: From New York City, this is Film Spotting streaming video unit. I'm
1: Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. And on this episode of FilmSpotting SBU, we'll be discussing demons and delusions as we look back at Frailty, the 2001 directorial debut of the late, great Bill Paxton.
0: Later in the episode, we'll bring you a Paxton-centric edition of Q Shots, the section in which we recommend some titles that you can rent or stream at home right now, all with a common theme. And if you're lucky, Matt will hold forth on why he's so fond of Paxton's (laughs) gloriously apathetic contribution to the Universal Studios now defunct Twister ride. (laughs) R.I.P. But first, let's do opening break, the segment we do in conjunction with movies on
1: demand on cable,
0: in which we spotlight a few titles that are new on demand. And Matt,
1: it's your turn. What have you got for us? Mm, I've got a nice assortment of movies here. The first one is available on April 7th. It is called Aftermath. I will read you the plot description. A man's life is changed forever after losing his family in a plane crash. He attempts to move on, but soon finds that he cannot face life without confronting the man responsible. Would you care to guess who that man is, Allison? No. Well, I'll tell you then. <laughs> the man is Arnold Schwarzenegger, and that is why I'm interested in seeing this movie. I see. As a Schwarzenegger non- anonymist. Oh,
0: nice. You That's made what that got up? My, you I up? You made got, that up? Sw-
1: I didn't make it up. It's what I got my PhD in. Thank you very much. Uh, this is a very interesting premise for an Arnold movie. Um, it lines up very nicely with some of the movies he's been making in the last couple of years, particularly Maggie and Sabotage, which are about these men who are desperately trying to protect their families or, more often than not, have failed to protect their families and are now dealing with guilt and shame that's been brought on by these moral or ethical failures. So this one sounds really interesting to me, maybe to no one else, but to me it sounds fascinating. Uh, the gentleman who directed this, Elliot Lester, made the not-terrible Jason Statham movie Blitz a few years ago. So I'm preemptively giving this movie 10 out of 5 stars. What's a word if you're a Jason Statham apologist? Mm. Stathamist. Fair. Fair. I like it. Which sounds kind of illegal in some states, but nonetheless, it is called. this movie is called Aftermath. It will be available on VOD on April 7th. I can't wait. Available on April 11th is a, a film I really enjoyed from 2016. It is Hidden Figures from Ted Melfi. The plot description, an incredible and inspiring untold story about three women at NASA who were instrumental in one of history's greatest operations, the launch of astronaut John Glenn into orbit. And of all the biopics from last year's award season, this was probably my favorite. A very likable movie. Three very good lead performances, Taraji P. Henson, Octavia Spencer, and my favorite of the three, Janelle Monae, who I think has all the makings of a a huge movie star. If she gets the right breaks, the right roles, uh, I would not be so naive to think that everything that happens in this movie is precisely the way it happened in history, but I think it's a very effective movie about these women overcoming not only racism, but sexism as well. And I know from my wife, who is a math teacher, just how hard it is even just in like middle school for girls to be taken seriously as mathematicians. And I think this movie could really inspire a lot of young women of all races to follow their dreams become awesome scientists and i think that would be good for everyone if that actually happened and it's a i think a very enjoyable movie that uh, i definitely recommend people check out that's hidden figures available on april 11th and finally this week available now on VOD a qualified recommendation for one of the stranger and messier blockbusters of recent years which i know some people hated but i found strangely compelling to care to guess what this might be based on that description i'm afraid it is Assassin's Creed, directed by Justin Kurzel, previously made The Snowtown Murders and uh, Macbeth. Yeah. Both good movies, and uh, this is based on the long-running, very fun but very silly series of video games about this eternal war between assassins and Templars. And it plays out in multiple time periods. There are scientists who claim they have... Or they're trying to find the genetic code for free will. <laughs> you have to you have to laugh evilly like that when you say things like that. Uh, most of this stuff actually does come from the video games. Honestly, some of it I think works better in the movie than it ever did in the games, which I've played a bunch of them and are fun but are just so stupid and silly. Um, some of the movie does not work. Some of it makes no sense. But I kind of enjoyed being bewildered. And going along for this very surreal ride, which is – it's just very – it's so much weirder than the movies that get made on this scale for the most part in 2016, 2017. Just where these movies tend to be so carefully test marketed and just all the strange rough edges are all sanded off. This movie was weird in a way that I sort of enjoyed. So, again, be prepared for the strange. Uh, Be prepared in some ways for a frustrating experience. But I thought it was one that was worth seeing at least – just to say, what the heck was going on here? Boy, this is this is some goofy stuff. It is Assassin's Creed. It is available now on VOD.
0: You the agent in charge of the God's Hand Case?
1: That's right. Where's your door?
0: It's a picture of you and your mother, huh? I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't take things off of my desk. Well, sorry about that. guess I've been in here a while. Already had a look at all your plaques and your citations. Didn't really care to have a look at those. So, what can I do for you, mister? Meeks. Name's Fenton Meeks. Listen, this may sound a little bit crazy, but... I know who the God's hand killer is. All right, I'll buy. Who? You hadn't even heard me out yet, and already you doubt me. Why is that? <laughs> Cause in a case like this, nobody just walks into the office and tells you who the killer is. It just doesn't happen that way. Sometimes truth defies reason. On every episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit, we let you pick our main review by voting on one of three options. And this time around, we had you choose between the Kate Winslet revenge dramedy The Dressmaker, which is on Amazon Prime, Bill Paxton's 2001 directorial debut Frailty on Netflix and Shudder, and the Paul Feig original series Other Space, which you can find at shareotherspace.com. And with Paxton having passed away so recently, it wasn't surprising that 55% of the votes went to Frailty. Frailty was Paxton's first feature as a filmmaker, but he dabbled in directing before he actually applied and was turned down from film school. Wow. Yes. And uh, toward the start of his career, he did some short form stuff, like he did a Barnes and Barnes music video for SNL for the song Fish Heads, a Dr. Demento favorite. Um, You can find that online. Acting was not his first plan, but it obviously worked out for him. Uh, it wasn't until he, after he'd established a career for himself, after Apollo 13 and Twister, that he was able to get back into filmmaking with a project based on an original script by Brett Hanley that Paxton starred in, in flashbacks, with Matthew McConaughey, fresh off the wedding planner, playing his adult son in the framing story. Frailty is a thriller, but it's also like The Usual Suspects, or speaking of McConaughey, True Detective Season 1, a story in which a character does a police interview, uh, leaving us, as well as the person they're talking to, to decide how much of what they're saying is trustworthy. Uh, in the case of frailty, the listener is an FBI agent played by Powers Booth, who McConaughey's character approaches claiming that a string of murders, the God's hand killings, are the fault of his brother. And then he explains why, telling the story of their small town Texas childhood at which, in which his single dad, a mechanic played by Paxton, starts to believe that he has been chosen by God to destroy demons hiding among us. He enlists his young sons in a campaign of kidnapping and murdering victims he believes were handed to him on a list from an angel. One of the boys goes along with his dark plan, agreeing that he too can see demonic visions, while the other tries to pull away and put a stop to everything. So Matt, this movie, when it came out, was pretty well received while not making huge waves. In the time since its reputation has improved, people have felt this is a really underrated movie. Is this an underappreciated gem, as some have argued?
1: Well, I think at this point, given it's uh, the 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 strong, I guess you would say cult following it's accrued. I think it's now properly rated. I think uh, I don't think it needs much wider recognition. I didn't think it was a masterpiece. I thought it was a good movie. I enjoyed it. I thought it sort of it tipped its hand a little too obviously for me. I mean, it really it it starts as if someone was like, okay, remember the usual suspects. Here is a movie that starts the exact same way And it really, to me, it really made me immediately go And I didn't really know much about this movie Beyond that I knew that it was about sort of this guy Who uh, believes he's been sort of told by God to kill people That was it I didn't know that there were twists or a flashback story even But it did seem to me right off the bat To sort of telegraph some of the twists I will say I did not predict everything that was going to happen I predicted one or two of the big twists but there was also one or the two of the twists that I did not see coming, and I thought were pretty cool. And I think, you know, we've talked on this show, or maybe it was the old podcast. Who knows? God, we've been doing this a we've long time. We've been talking
0: a long time. Yeah,
1: for like a decade. But I remember we once did an episode somewhere about twists and how if a movie is only its twists, then it's not a very good movie. Like, if you can predict it or if you know it. And I have to say, I thought this movie was better than just being a twisty thing. And I think that's probably why it has a, as good a reputation as it does have, is that it's got really good performances um, from Bill Paxton, from Matthew McConaughey. I thought Powers Booth was really good, too. So it has, a, it has enough things going for it to recommend it. I didn't think it was a masterpiece, um, but it is good enough that you say, boy, it's too bad Bill Paxton didn't direct more stuff. And that he's a pretty good director and he got some good performances and, you know, it's a fun sort of twisty movie.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I, I think that one of the things, I, I guess I would say most of the twists going in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Maybe I think, we'll do a spoiler. We can yes, talk about we'll the twist at the, at the end. we'll do a spoiler thing at the end. I mean, certainly
1: the basic framework basically sets up a, a twist to happen. It's almost like putting a giant like, flashing light saying, this something here is not right. Well, you can just is, tell. Like, if,
0: if you were to set up a film that way and not have a twist, then it would be a terrible structure for a
1: film because all, you would yeah. just have someone telling a story. It would be much more surprising for this movie not to end with a right. twist. That
0: would have been really something. Yeah. Just like
1: walk wow. away. Wow, everything you like, said to you me go. was accurate. Yes. Huh. All this, right.
0: This framing the story end. was definitely necessary. <laughs> 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 yes. So so I,
1: I feel like the, the
0: the fact that there might be more to this story than than is being told initially was not surprising. I will say, I did think, to your point, about uh, if there's more to a twist or less. I think when, when I kind of assumed twists were coming and taken them off the table and just said, like, what else is there to this? I was actually pleasantly surprised by how much it leans into the psychological stress of its scenario. You know, Paxton, I, I think one of his qualities is, is this this real kind of dad-like normalcy. This mm-hmm. like he has himself pointed out he has this air of wholesomeness mm-hmm. that I, I think really works in this role because he never plays this character as like raving, as you know, all of these these like really terrifying things he says and has his children do is done with this like fond father, like fatherly behavior, you know, where he's just encouraging his children. Like, this is so important. And I think that there's something about that that is really extra ominous and alarming, but also in a way that doesn't even necessarily fit into what you expect of the horror genre. You know, there is something about it that is just disturbing in a, in a like ruined home sense yeah you know I, I think that he the way in which he plays it so sincerely he plays it like a guy who believes he is doing good
1: he does he, uh, and, and, and deeply believes it and loves his children and loves his children and is generally other than the compelling them to murder people like generally a good dad right like he's not an abusive father in these in like the classical sense right i
0: mean there is even a scene in which one of the children gets locked in it like horribly gets locked in a cellar for days Mm -hmm. and the way that he plays it is something where he is he's not he's deeply regretful about this but he just has to be done he's like trying to break his child out of to see the truth the reality you know and I think that earnestness really carries the movie and makes it feel more complicated than I think it might have in the hands of someone with less of a sense of that character.
1: Yes, I agree. And I think what you're hitting on here is also how generally both his performance and in the way that the movie treats what he does, there's a lot of restraint. There's a, It would be very easy to make this movie sort of super lurid, super pulpy, super sensationalized, and just make it like a slasher movie. And it doesn't play that way. And part of it is his performance where he's such a – he seems like he genuinely cares for his children and he wants what's best for them. And part of it, I think, is the way that they treat the killings, which is fairly restrained. Like it's – there is some blood in this movie and there's a lot of – and there are people being killed. But the movie almost always cuts away from the worst of it. Well, it
0: holds on the children's faces a lot of the time. Hmm. There are are multiple scenes in which – someone is getting killed right. and the camera has turned away and holds on the kids as they watch which does not make it any less horrifying no. but emphasizes it puts the emphasis on the trauma I mean, this is a story being told from a place of trauma. Right. That it, it emphasizes
1: that, and that those are the like these are the points of view that it's being filtered through. But in a way, it, you know, this is like how it's almost how that dad would direct this movie in a weird way because the dad wouldn't. You know, th- th- it's this is not about blood and guts. This is not about wallowing in this butchery.
0: Right. There's no, an, there's, it, no there's no sadism in right, this. Right. And there's yes. no
1: pleasure for him in doing this. This is a necessary thing that must be done because God has told him to do it. And so it's not about the blood and the guts it's just this is it's sort of matter of fact in a way and i think that's all also part of the reason that this movie has such a good reputation is that it is not the typical way this sort of you know slashery movie is usually done which is with a lot of blood and guts and with a father figure who is abusive and cruel and horrible and becomes Mm, a monster and maybe ranting and yeah and probably like loses a hand and replaces it with a like a butcher's knife or a cross or something at some point like this is not that kind of movie and I think there's not enough horror movies that sort of approach their scenarios with this amount of sensitivity and intelligence. And and again, I think that's, you know, the material I don't think is outstanding, but I think that the way it's handled is very smart.
0: I think in particular as a, a kind of uh, a very n- like horror haunted portrait of religious fanaticism that Paxton's desire to have it be portrayed by like deep sincerity and earnestness is actually one of the things that makes this work so well, because I think there's a temptation in portraying religious fanaticism to turn it into self-importance or narcissism, Mm -hmm. right? Which certainly is, is something that is an element here, believing you are chosen by God, even if your task is like, as dark and grim as the one that uh, Bill Paxton's character has decided has been given to him is still, you are the special one. You believe that like the almighty is speaking to you and not anyone else. Um, and I think that he leans away from that characterization, you know, there's not self aggrandizement as part of this, these beliefs. It is very much that he feels like a soldier,
1: mm-hmm. you know, carrying out right. these, the deeds. Mission. What did you think of the, the, the child actors, and particularly the one who's sort of the lead who. The older one. The older one who is the one who really is the one who's kind of carrying the drama?
0: I didn't think he was fantastic, but no. I thought that he was fine. I don't, I, you know, I think that the fact. It is one of the places in which the fact that it's being narrated by a grown up actor has mm-hmm. helped because I feel like McConaughey is able to kind of put complications onto that performance that aren't necessarily there, mm. you know,
1: in uh, on the child. That's well said. Yeah, I, I, that's, a, that's a nice way of putting it, and I think you're right. I hadn't really thought of it that way. But, yeah, I did think that with a better actor, uh, with respect to Matt O'Leary, who I think, I think he gets the introducing credit, you know, must have been his first role. I did think with a better actor in that role, this movie would be even better. I thought he looked the part, he was fine, he wasn't bad... But as you said, there wasn't a lot of sort of those complications that you're looking for. um, McC- McConaughey's, um voiceover and his, I thought his performance throughout was very good, actually. This is like pre-Mekana's, there's like hints of it here, right. actually. Right, it was back
0: when he was, he was doing fairly mainstream and fairly uh, wedding planner, you know, right. he was in his rom-com days yes. where he, he did those the series, and I think... You know, a lot of people have pointed out there are shades of uh Russ Cole, the character he plays for in true sure. detective there. And certainly, I mean, they basically when he sits on that couch, like, oh, it's, it's like the same shot almost, mm-hmm. but or sits on that chair. I, I, I think that he does um he does haunted very well mm-hmm. for for a guy who is like who, Who's a goofball, known for being charismatic goofball, and yeah, stoned, and, and handsome yeah. and yeah, he yeah. he actually does like a good job of looking like there's something just like empty in mm-hmm. his eyes, like he's seen things.
1: Yeah, so you're right. I do think that that he, he does get some. He should get some credit for that voiceover kind of carrying us through a lot of those those flashback scenes. And I wouldn't have minded more voiceover. There's a while or flashboard, you know, the fr- framing story scenes. We could have used some more of those because I I really liked him with Powers Booth. Just the two of them talking, I thought, was some of the most enjoyable. Just the, these two guys who kind of enjoying the pulpy kind of sitting around and feeling each other out and not quite saying what either character is thinking. I thought they had some great scenes together and I could have used some more of them.
0: I did. I also, I want to say not related to that, but I did really like the scene in which there's one point where one of the kids goes to the police. Yes. And the way that scene plays out is so well done because it emphasizes also like, yeah, it's a small town, the facade of normalcy that's there. The idea that, no one, you know, no one would ever like. Sometimes when something is so outlandish, no one will ever believe it. Right. Like there's almost like it, it's, it's something that protects itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought that was like very cleverly good
1: scene and up. a suspenseful scene. It's probably the most suspenseful part of the movie. Which, um, yeah, it, that that part works really well. Should we do some spoilers before we wrap it up? Let's do some spoilers. So, wh- was there what were was there any twist that you didn't see coming? Because you said you what? predicted most of.
0: Well, them. I definitely thought. Well, I, I certainly felt like he would turn out to be... The killer. The killer. For sure. And I certainly felt... That there be the question mark around whether the is this a delusion or maybe he really is tasked by God? For I sure, thought that was definitely coming. Yeah, yeah. The thing that surprised me was just that Powers
1: Booth had mu- murdered. Yeah, his Yeah, <laughs> I love that. That I, I did not see coming, and I really like that. And yeah, then in retrospect,
0: it's also like mentioned so lightly. Uh,
1: you well, know. but you, in retrospect, you go, boy, he did ask him a lot of questions about his mom and the pictures of his mother. Yeah. This is the only picture. And and they do it when they do it in when the you don't think of it, you don't think anything of it. But then when you look back, you go, okay, he was. He was sizing that part of him up, which is cool. I did not see that part coming at all, and that was probably my favorite of all. Like the twists, um, I thought was that was kind of fun, and and I kind of cheered a little bit when it, when it turned <laughs> out that Powers Booth was he, the FBI agent was evil.
0: Yeah, I did. I did have questions about the other brother and that
1: whole yeah, timeline, and right. even like what happened with that. Right. Well, I, the, the thing is, because he, you mean? I mean, the other thing that's very obvious i would think to most people is that whatever is going on here he is not a reliable narrator right. so it does make you question sort of everything we've seen is any of it real what is real what is not real he does seem to have powers no pun intended powers booth i mean because he's able to he knows he, he knows the things warp also like right he can magically know, yes, no one ma- can remember
0: what his face looked like in yeah the, yeah
1: right exactly and I did t- sort of like, you know, they, they did tie up that loose end where, you know, the the call that's placed to the small town, the woman who answers it at the sheriff's office is, I guess, either his wife or his girlfriend or whatever and who's and seemingly pregnant. Has his, yeah. Yeah, pregnant with his child so that the the legacy right, can be passed on. on. I thought yeah. that was a fun, you know, it reminded me of like a great like Twilight Zone sort of ending. Absolutely. And, um, you this know.
0: A, this whole movie has a bit of that feeling. For like, sure. I feel like it, I mean, that is sort of the tension to it is that on one side it feels feels like a fable like a twilight zone style fable um and then on the other side there are a lot of flashes of i think genuinely complex psychological drama yeah. in particular like the two boys and like one of the boys being like no dad i see it too like in this way that you're like of course he would want to please his father he would right. you know he's trying really hard to 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 Go go to this dark place with his
1: dad. I will say too. I don't know if you felt this way, but when they go back to the flashback of the two boys, I'm you know they're explaining who is who and everything, and I'm going looking at the two of them, going, boy, that one really looks like McConaughey, but that's not yes. the one who he claims to be. I definitely, which I that also too. thought was sort of an odd. Eventually, I was like, is that, is he actually the other brother? Which I maybe that was deliberate. I don't know, but it did to, to me. It did seem a little bit of like it again tipping the hand. Maybe maybe that's what Bill Paxton wanted. I don't know, but I did think it was sort of curious, maybe deliberate, maybe not, that the the boy who looked like the young Matthew McConaughey was not the one he claimed to be at least through most of the story, which was interesting. But yeah, I I I I liked watching it. I was glad I saw it. Um I get the reputation. I didn't think it was that amazing, but I was I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was well done. Very uh, well certainly. done and, you know, good performances and a good movie. It's definitely worth watching. Yeah. If you haven't seen it?
0: Yeah, Um, and uh, you can see that on Netflix. And by the way, Bill Paxton has directed two other movies. Oh, sorry, one other movie and a short. The Greatest Game Ever Played in 2005 and a 2011 short called Tattoo. (laughs)
1: Still love yeah. So we're gonna talk some more about Bill Paxton. This is this is kind of sad, you know. He was a young man. He died at the age of 61. Uh, he died in February. Born in 1955. He, I guess, he had surgery and there was complications and he passed away. Yeah, they had a stroke. very sad, very sad. Um, you know, I think a, a a a central figure of a lot of good movies. Not always the central figure, but but he had a habit of showing up in good movies. Not always in the lead, but like he kind of just like he he had, I don't know if he had a nose for good material or he just had a nose for good directors who tended to put him in a lot of their work.
0: He certainly, and and, and when you look through in particular the 80s and 90s, the the number of just like, mainstays of the era that he appears in is really impressive
1: <laughs> yeah he, you know for and for a guy who didn't have like a ton of like I would say signature roles where you go like he became famous for playing x or y or he had this franchise where he made five of these movies he didn't have any of that but he always had he was always working he was always busy and he's always doing good stuff you know and he's in so many movies that have become I feel like mainstays on cable like Apollo 13 right Like, you know, that movie has played, um, you know, so many times. And Twister, you know, you mentioned the ride, which, of course, you were – if you don't know what Allison was referring to, very briefly. So they made the movie Twister, which I don't think people today realize – how huge that it was movie was! A huge
0: movie at the time because
1: it didn't spawn any sequels and it wasn't based on anything and 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 it hasn't really left a cultural footprint no, in any way. I don't
0: feel like and it doesn't seem to have the same kind of
1: nostalgic or rewatch value that say a Jurassic Park has had, right? Or Independence Day or you know, but it was part of this like kind of. Movement in blockbusters at that time, where it wasn't like the way it is now about franchises, reboots, sequels. It was much more about special effects. Like, what can we make something look really cool? Well, we can do tornadoes. So they made a whole movie about freaking tornadoes, and he was the star with Helen Hunt, and it was a huge hit. It was like the number two movie of the year or something outrageous. And they made a ride out of it at Universal, and they convinced him and Helen Hunt to like introduce it, and. The rumors are, I don't know that this is true. Allegedly, they didn't get along the two of them. And allegedly, they only he only refused, he only agreed to appear in it if they basically like shot their things separately and then appeared like kind of side by side on separate <laughs> cam- like like so they'd be on two monitors. And you can find his performance in this video on YouTube. It is magnificently disinterested. It is one of the least he just does not give a crap. He is so. He can't convincingly say his name in these things. <laughs> and it's just so wonderful. I just treasure it. And the ride no longer exists, but some of these videos of his performance are available on YouTube. You should definitely go watch. I think if you just type in like Bill Paxton, Twister Universal, you'll find it. It's really, really funny just how little he cares about what he's saying about the Twister is the most amazing force of nature. I'm Bill Paxton. You're about to witness a twister. That kind of stuff. It's really good.
0: Um, I would say that beyond Twister, which is probably one of his signature roles, if not the signature role, Mm -hmm. uh, he also did a lot of good work on TV, which I don't want to skip over. I don't think either of us picked Big Love, the HBO series, to talk about. I've never seen Big Love. I've seen a few seasons of it. It's very good. He does really, it's like, it fits him so well, that role, because it is both. It is both the most like wholesome dad-like role. And at the same time, it is totally counter to the norm because it's about polygamy and it's about having a secret life, Mm -hmm. you know, it's about having a secret, but like very domestic life, which, and there's something very fascinating about that. Uh, It's got a lot, a great cast that's streaming on Amazon if you want to find it. But yeah, he was maybe your classic journeyman actor. He was the kind of person who showed up and did good work and sometimes he was a star and sometimes he wasn't. Yeah. He will be missed.
1: <laughs> he will. He was great. He was always, always good to see him in something you know, when he popped up. All right. Who wants to go first? You when, want me to go first? Yeah. Why don't you go first? Okay. Well, although he did become a leading man on things like Big Love and in Twister, and he did have the leading man good looks, I tend to, when I think of him most fondly, it's, it tends to be in the supporting roles. And so, probably my favorite Bill Paxton performance ever is in True Lies, which is the 1994 spy comedy from James Cameron, who cast Bill Paxton in almost every movie he made. He was maybe his biggest fan, because he put him in everything. And uh, True Lies, if you haven't seen it, it, is available for rent, or if you have stars, you can watch it on stars, you can watch it on Amazon with stars, if you have stars. I'm just going to keep saying stars with a Z. So True Lies, it is James Cameron's uh, riff on Bond, you have Arnold Schwarzenegger. I've heard, That's twice I've mentioned him on this show. I'm doing a great job. He plays this super spy who keeps his secret agent work so secret that his wife and daughter, played by Jamie Lee Curtis and Eliza Dushkoot, they don't even know he's a spy. They think he's a software salesman. And as a result, Jamie Lee Curtis is so bored with her crappy domestic home life, and here comes that domestic thing you were just talking about, that she begins contemplating an affair with this sleazy used car salesman. And that is who Bill Paxton plays, who, in this wonderful twist, lures her into his arms by claiming that his gig as a car salesman is actually cover- a cover for his real job as a spy. So you have the real spy pretending not to be a spy, and the spy's wife falls for a man who isn't a spy, but who claims to be a spy. And, you know, you've talked a little bit about the Paxton, his sort of presence, his dadliness. Um, but one of the other things he did very well was he was incredible at playing an arrogant bro guy who's secretly a sniveling, like, Absolutely. milk toast. You know, that he puts, he plays, a, he talks a big game, but then when the chips are down, he can't handle it. You know, James Cameron, you know, one of the other movies he put Bill Paxton in was Aliens, where he got to do his most famous line of his career. Am I stealing your thunder? Sorry. Well, we'll get to that in a minute then. And here he kind of is repeating the same thing. He's acting suave to Jamie Lee Curtis. And then when Schwarzenegger tracks him down and intimidates him, and granted this maybe is a slight abuse of government power, I don't know, but it does lead to this glorious scene where Bill Paxton is begging for his life in this epic monologue of cowardice. And I love the line he uses to describe himself. Do you remember how he describes himself? I do not know. He says, I'm naval lint. Which that is exactly who Bill Paxton was the king of playing. Guys who are navel-lint. So if you haven't seen True Lies, he doesn't have a huge role. He's sort of very important to the first act. And he kind of propels the movie into the what's the actual story. But every scene he's in is just tremendous. So uh, this is definitely the, to me, this is like the quintessential Paxton performance that I just love so much. So it's True Lies, available for rent or on Stars.
0: So for my first pick, I was, I'm going to go with something that you've already mentioned, and that is another classic
1: Paxton-supporting performance Yes,
0: in the mode that you've said of the going from a swaggering guy to right. a, a sniveling one. It is Aliens, which is available for rent, James Cameron's 1986 sequel, with Sigourney Weaver reprising her role as Ellen Ripley, and Bill Paxton playing Hudson, Private Hudson, one of the Marines she travels with on an ill-fated, let's say trip to find out what happened to a terraforming colony. Uh, I love this movie. I maybe prefer it to the Ridley Scott alien as excellent as that also is. And one of the many things that's so admirable about it is how deftly and quickly it delineates and establishes the personalities of the Marines without having any of them cough up awkward bits of backstory or introduction. The whole sequence in which they wake up and they, they get ready is just really magnificently done in terms of just like showing you all of these characters, uh, making you understand which one, who they all are before they start getting killed off. So you understand that Hicks is experienced and that he and Ripley form a mutual admiration society. You understand that Vasquez is the toughest of them all, that the Sarge is the Sarge, as in every <laughs> military movie, and that Hudson is, under the smart-ass swagger, easily unsettled. Uh, there's the early scene in which... Uh, he uh, gets kind of, he's jeering uh, the android played by Lance uh, Hendrickson Bishop into doing the trick with the knife that he knows how yeah. to do. And then of course he gets enlisted to have his hand be put on there. And the camera holds on his face is this look of horror. <laughs> he kind of like howls as the knife moves faster and faster and faster. And it is really delightful. <laughs> and when things go to hell down on the, the moon, uh, he becomes basically an audience surrogate. Does he <laughs> Does he yet break immediately? Yes. And does he say a famous line, Matt?
1: Game over, man, game over.
0: <laughs> With the voice breaking exactly like that? Yep. Yes, absolutely. But here is the thing about his freaked-outedness. Not only does it feel very genuine, it feels totally justified, given that everything that they get plunged into right away. You know, that he... Uh, Aliens is a movie about being afraid, a lot of it is. It is a movie about how Ripley went through something horrible and goes back and does it again, this time knowing what she's getting into and going anyway. And uh, I think that Paxton is like very important for like a, a minor character, is really important in just reminding us how terrified everyone should be feeling in these sequences. Everyone is acting tough and he is not, and he seems totally justified in being like, why don't we leave everyone behind and run away as quickly as possible? <laughs> You're like, yes, I would do that too. That makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. It's a really, I, I think in a lot, there are a lot of little wonderful performances in Aliens, and his is a particularly great one. It's unforgettable. Yes, for for a character who is basically, like all of them, is, you know, Xenomorph
1: fodder. Right. He He really stands out well and again he looks like a marine i mean bill paxton has that he could have that tough guy look so the fact that he becomes so he turns into a walking you know pudding you know just but it's also and that we get to see that in contrast with sigourney weaver i
0: just think so awesome but i think it's also just that i think he as he emphasizes, like he and the other Marines are like the movie makes a real point of them as like working grunts like everyone else. And he seems like a working stiff there where he's just like, I don't want to die for this. Sure. Like, get me out of here. <laughs> you know, it. I think it's it's fantastic. So Aliens is, of course, available for rent. It's a great it pick. It is great. It's, a,
1: it's great. And I, I, you know, it's a controversial thing, but I, I, I kind of like it better than the original one, too. Come on. It's great. All right. My next pick. Uh, I finally watched a movie that many people love that I had never seen. I think, actually, the guys over at Spot and Classic are big fans. That is Tombstone from 1993, directed by George uh, Cosmatos. It is available on Hulu. Uh, Notoriously, at the time, it was a very troubled production. The original director was fired. They brought in George Cosmatos to replace him. And if you believe the rumors and innuendos... The uh, he Cosmato's was basically just there, almost like as a traffic cop, while the film star Kurt Russell was actually directing a lot of the movie, which was getting rewritten on the set all the time. But you, I think that really until the end, the last act, you would never know from the movie, which is beautiful and tough and very well acted. With Kurt Russell as Wyatt Earp, Val Kilmer famously as the tubercular Doc Holliday the classic story of the gunfight at the O.K. Corral, although in this case, that's not the end of the movie. That's sort of like the midpoint which leads into all this other stuff that happens. And you have Bill Paxton playing the role of one of White Earp's two brothers. They're all lawmen together. And, you know, it was interesting watching this movie for this context, because at best, Bill Paxton is like the fifth most important character in the movie. In the closing credits, he's actually billed 11th Behind characters who, at least in my mind Watching it, were not as important to the movie As he was, including Stephen Lang Terry O'Quinn, who has a small role Sam Elliott plays the other brother He's credited ahead of him He does spend A lot of the movie, Bill Paxton Does, in Kurt Russell's shadow But every time he gets a line Here or there, he really makes the most of it He has these great moments He has this great line where he's like Boy, I tell you I'm suffering, and then there's a pause From a hangover uh, and he's not quite the, like, sniveling coward from Aliens or from True Lies, but there's in- it's interesting. In the big gunfight of the OK Corral sequence, he doesn't run away or anything like that. But there are these shots of him in the fight where he looks scared and where Kurt Russell looks kind of determined and, you know— Sam Elliott looks, you know, very gruff. Like, when they show Bill Paxton, he looks scared. And I thought that was interesting, again, in context of watching these other movies and talking about Paxton, the way that he did seem like an ordinary guy who could get in, like you were saying, sort of over his head. maybe just didn't have a good poker face. He
0: couldn't, hey, he he couldn't that's, hide that's it. That's a really good way to put it. You
1: know, and that's something that's very likable about him, you know? And in this movie, in a movie like Tombstone, I think he— it's a, it's a really good movie. I really enjoyed watching it. And what I admired about Bill Paxton in it is that he doesn't need a lot of screen time or dialogue to create a character. Kind of what you were saying about aliens. Like there isn't a lot – he doesn't get a lot of time to establish who this guy is. But he is such a strong presence on screen that he can do a lot maybe because he doesn't have a poker face. He can do a lot with a close-up one close up we can know we know exactly what he's thinking we know what he's feeling you know whereas you, other actors might need a, to explain it you never have to he never has to explain what his character is feeling it's just there on his face and without spoiling it he has an amazing last scene uh that i just thought was incredible and his performance was just incredible and this might be i was thinking about this it might be one of the very last classical westerns that's ever been made and arguably from the perspective of 2017, maybe it's too classical. I don't know. Maybe in 1993 it was too classical. But there's a lot that's really great about it. And in a movie with a lot of great performances, I think that is mostly what distinguishes it. That and the incredible cinematography, he fits right in. He, he is just, he's right up there with the best performances in that movie. And there's a lot of really good performances in that. So I was glad I watched it. Sorry I waited so long to watch it. And I uh, thought, Ben Matt Bill Paxton, even in a little role, He could be great. So that is Tombstone. It is available on Hulu.
0: So I I do tend to associate Bill Paxton with smaller roles, but he could carry a movie when he was the lead. And I think you see that, especially in my pick, my second pick Traveler, which is available on Fandor, on Sundance Now, and it's also free with ads on Vudu. So you've got a few options there. This is a 1997 indie that Paxton not only starred in, but produced. It was actually the first feature film he did that for. It's a directorial debut of Jack N. Green, better known as a cinematographer. He shot the Deadpool, The Bridges in Madison County, Twister with Bill Paxton, and Unforgiven, for which he got an Oscar nomination. Traveler is a con artist drama set in the North Carolina Irish traveler community, this very insular uh, group with its own rules and with its own rules about who can have relationships. And Paxton plays Baki, a talented small town small-time con, who takes a newcomer, Pat, a kid whose father left the community to marry an outsider in. He's played by Matt. Do you know this?
1: Mark Wahlberg. Yes.
0: A very baby-faced, very Boston-sounding Mark Wahlberg. (laughs) He's not supposed to be from North Carolina, I don't think, but he definitely... Sounds like he is from Boston. Um, under his wing, as his protege, as a kind of as a baby con artist who needs to learn the ropes. Juliana Margulies is also in there as a woman that Bucky targets. Uh, and James Gammon is a lot of fun as a kind of fellow traveler forever trying to enlist Bucky in grander schemes involving stealing from the Turkish traveler community. Apparently the all, uh, this us against them mentality amongst Paxton's traveler clan does not extend across racial lines because Paxton refers to uh, the the Turkish travelers as a bunch of different slurs. Uh, but really the pleasure of this movie for all that I think it It follows beats that you might expect it 's kind of halfway between a slice of life indie about a particular closed world and one that is a it 's a con artist movie. You know they pull off a lot of small time schemes oftentimes with uh, the music choices in this are sometimes really charmingly old fashioned and sometimes not so charmingly, but there are a lot of ones in which there are a few ones in which. Um, Wahlberg and Paxton, you know, try and scam people and end up getting run off while, like, you know, cheery music plays. Uh, There's a kind of old-fashioned quality to it that I liked a lot. It's really, though, like, it's all on Paxton as a guy who uses his his goofy, wholesome charm to fleece people of their money. That is like his whole trick. He's not the world's most sophisticated con artist just because he doesn't usually try for long cons. He you know, shows up to people's houses and offers to seal their, their um, driveways with cheap sealant and then drives away as quickly as possible because he just sprayed it down with paint, basically. Uh, I, I think that there's something to the way he inhabits this role to uh, the simultaneous like pride he takes in his place in the community and how it weighs down on him that Paxton uh, transmits without having without having to do a lot without having to say a lot out loud. I think that there's like a real arc to his experiences and feelings that. Uh, he makes, I, I think, a little more sophisticated than necessarily the movie does. Uh, it's it's a really nice bit of acting, and I think it's it's a real pleasure to watch him in this movie. You know, I think it's not a perfect movie, but it is a it's it's a pretty likable one, and a very '90s movie. I think very of its time. It's nice to see Paxton also playing. Um, Playing basically like buddies uh, on the road with Wahlberg,
1: it's a it's a kind of neat pairing.
0: But that is Traveler. You can find it on Fandor, on Vudu, and on Sundance Now.
1: I, I've never seen it, but looking at the Wikipedia page, the the poster brought me back to like the blockbuster in Marlboro, yep. New Jersey, where I remember wa- seeing that uh, that that VHS many times. Never saw it, but that. The shot of him with the, his hand to his ear. I just remember that poster vividly. Yeah, it's just
0: his face. His just, big old face. Yeah, iconic, <laughs> iconic packs. On the last episode, we did a giveaway. We have three copies of 20th Century Women to give away to three people who entered our contest. So Alex S. I'm not going to say your full names because you didn't give me permission necessarily. Alex S., Taylor C., Patrick F., you will be getting emails from me soon if you have not already. Um, congratulations. 20th Century Women will be available on Blu-ray and DVD on March 28th.
1: And thank you for allowing us this giveaway. We're happy to do it. And, in fact, we've got one more. We've got another one. This time we've got one copy to give away. So it's going to be a tougher
0: Got to throw chance. some elbows. Yeah, you know.
1: good luck. But uh, we've got one copy of La La Land, which is coming to Blu-ray digital hd combo pack on april 25th the special features for this one include a bunch of making of featurettes and also a commentary track from director damien chazelle and composer justin Hurwitz, which i'd be very interested in in watching that myself so we have one blu-ray copy of la la land that we're going to give away on our next episode we're gonna do the exact same way uh, if you have not done so already, leave us a review on iTunes and shoot us an email, svu at filmspottingsvu.com, letting us know you've done that. If you have already left us a review on iTunes, first of all, thank you. And second of all, just send us a listener recommendation to that same address, svu at com. That's it. And yep. we're just going to pick one random winner which will get this, uh, this Blu-ray. Be sure to put contest somewhere in the subject line. Yeah, mention line La so La Land, know. Blu-ray, something like that in the subject line so we know to, that you're, you, want, you want that. All right, let's, let's talk about some new releases before we get to Behind the 8-Ball. We've got a bunch of movies that we've seen that are in theaters. We've got a bunch of movies, I guess one movie that's coming to theaters that I can talk about. But first up, Allison. Yes. It's morphing time. Does it have to be, though? It is morphing time, damn it. Maybe tomorrow? No, right now. Tell me
0: about Power Rangers. I know that there are some people who have tried to make the argument that this is like a fun, Sub- fun... Subversive? Really? I, I don't subversive know. Subversive,
1: I had not heard. Uh, I don't Certainly know. Certainly I've heard fun, it's goofy, goofy, silly. Well, that I mean, that sounds like the old TV show.
0: Yeah, I found this excruciating Ooh. until the last half hour, which I will say is fun, Was and goofy, fun and goofy, and they play the theme song. Right. Um, I, it just, it's... It's sort of like a bad like breakfast club for whole long stretches before they become, you know, the Power Rangers. Right. Where they're just training these group of weird outcasts, or not that weird, honestly. Weird mostly because of how the movie tries to arrange them to get together and the backstories it gives all of them. There is one character who whose backstory is that she cyberbullied someone by sending a nude photo of her friend around. <laughs> and then and then the movie kind of Tries to play it like she's the victim. What? I it's so confusing. It felt like three people wrote this storyline and somewhere along the way it got horribly mangled.
1: Weird. There is the This is the good guy.
0: This is one of the good guys. Wow. There is the, the Power Ranger who has gotten proclaimed the first queer superhero on the basis of, of like a, one line, right? Not even a line. Here's what happens. Okay. She gets asked, she says something about like how I prefer to keep my relationships to myself. Okay. And the character is like, boyfriend trouble? And she's like, Yeah, boyfriend trouble. And he's like girlfriend trouble and she doesn't say anything and that that alone (laughs) the pregnant pause was enough pause and I think at one point later she says like I don't like to use labels but that was enough for an overexcited Hollywood Reporter story right proclaiming yes I remember it yes there is a character who is on the spectrum that character is like played by by far the most charismatic actor and is like easily the best of the characters Hmm. I But, like, yeah, it is, it feels like it assembled from a lot of half written scraps and then eventually becomes finally the really goofy
1: movie that like a really expensive version of the famously cheap right (laughs) well but assembled from scraps i mean that is the tv show the tv show is literally assembled from scraps they took old scraps of old tv shows and cobbled them together right
0: but this movie spent a hundred (laughs) million dollars and the screenplay expensive scraps. the screenplay (laughs) still feels like it was written on various post-it notes that were then put together in in random order yeah yeah so i like i will not make the argument that this is uh a kind of goofy fun classic i our new cl- not even new classic revisit like nostalgic whatever i i really found it interminable
1: i'm i'm guaranteeing we're going to hear from people who are like you guys are too old to appreciate the power rangers
0: yeah i had actually a lot of conversations about this
1: yeah. but i feel like we were we were sort of we a were a little, little bit too old, too old. We were definitely i definitely watched old. it but i was i was too we, yeah. i was i was at the age where i was like this is really stupid yes but we, also we were too old for it but also i don't care because it can still be dumb (laughs) absolutely all right so that's power rangers i didn't i I missed that one but i saw another movie which is out in theaters right now which is life and this movie is alien (laughs) okay it's not alien it's alien mixed with gravity that's it i mean that's not bad and it's not bad it's actually it's pretty good i think it uh it's sort of it builds to this wonderful, very scary, spooky, terrifying sequence sort of midway through the movie, and then it never quite tops it, and the characters, as so often happens in these kinds of movies, become very, very stupid, and it kind of lost me by the end. But I think it's worth... It's a. I gave it a mild recommendation. It's certainly, I liked it more than you liked Power Rangers. It is basically like Alien Meets Gravity. We have this uh, a crew of scientists on the International Space Station. They... Do this, you know, very difficult, very dangerous catch of this, I don't know, like this satellite that has returned from Mars with samples. And it turns out that the samples include like actual alien life, like a like a single cell. And they bring it back to life. They nurse it to health. They name it Calvin because the, what's scarier than being chased through the International <laughs> Space Station by something named Calvin? And eventually it, like, busts out of its little cage and starts, you know, it becomes alien. Like, you you know what, what it is. And, you know, it has a, a great cast. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Rebecca Ferguson, Ryan Reynolds. They're all wasted. They have nothing to do. The alien, I think it starts off looking really cool. And over time, as it grows throughout the movie, I, to me, it got more and more like boring because it became more and more like a creepy alien. Well, that's, isn't that always the case? Yes. The more you see the alien, the more. Yes, I... but in this case, when they, they they don't really hide the alien at all from beginning to end. But in the beginning like when tentacle, it's a tentacle, right? When like in, a- yeah, when it's little it almost looks like a like a translucent starfish or something and it can kind of sh- change shape. And by the end of the movie without spoil, I'm not, I i do not think it's really a spoiler. By the end of the movie it just looks like a, like a translucent xenomorph basically with like wings or whatever. Yeah. It just it's very it just like looks like, you know, like from sort of like a slush pile of scary monsters except it's sort of clear cuz it's translucent or whatever. I don't know. It gets very the movie gets very very dumb and the characters who are all supposed to be NASA scientists disease control experts uh, uh, biologists they're all morons they're the dumbest people that have ever lived and somehow they've managed to dumb their way into these jobs and they they don't by the time the alien escapes they never do a single smart thing for the rest of the movie every decision they make is like stupid and maybe that was by design. The guys who wrote Deadpool wrote this, and maybe they just have a very sort of cynical, jaundiced view of humanity, and they're sort of poking fun at these people being stupid, and we're supposed to enjoy them getting eaten. And and maybe that was the point, but I did find it hard to root for anyone in this story by the end of it. And uh, a fun ending – a good ending aside, I really – I was, I was sort of very with it for the first half and a little let down by the second half. But if you're in the mood for, like, a creature feature, you know, I think it's, it's beating the new Alien movie to the market, and I'm curious to see how that affects the new Alien. You know, it's kind of like undercutting this. That we actually have an actual Alien movie coming out, and this beat it to theaters by a month. You which didn't is...
0: answer the most important question, though. How does this fit in with
1: Venom? so stupid i can't believe that that was a thing uh if you don't know what allison is referring to some i guess it started on reddit maybe people began speculating that perhaps this movie because it was released by sony and sony owns the rights to spider-man and sony also just announced that they're making a venom movie that somehow this movie was a venom prequel because it's about an alien and it's trying to get to earth and uh it is not a venom movie (laughs) It is not. That was a very stupid thing. It is not in any way a Venom movie. Uh, unless uh, they're going in a very different direction for Venom than the one that I know from the comic books. No, it is, it is not. A, I hate to break it to you. It is not. A, I'm so disappointed. I'm sorry. I'm crushed. I'm very sorry to mm. break it to you. All right. Do you want me to very briefly talk about The Boss Baby? Sure. Give us like three sentences. Now, The Boss Baby is a Venom prequel, which is <laughs> weird. I thought that was weird, but it is. Uh, No, The Boss Baby is the new DreamWorks animated movie. It is about a boss baby. Sounds legit. It is. You know the the SNL sketches where where Beck Bennett plays the old, like, the guy who acts like a baby? This is the opposite. It's a baby who acts like a boss. And it's voiced by Alec Baldwin. And you would be surprised how little the movie actually has to do with, like, a baby who acts like a boss. Like, I thought it was going to be about, like, this baby bossing around his family – But it's actually like this weird uh, corporate espionage plot where the baby works for a baby corporation based in heaven and they're in a competition with a company that does that sells pet supplies. And there's like the baby might be there to like break up this family. It's 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 weird. Seriously. Yes, this is this is really what it's about. It's very strange. The thing that it has going for it is it's actually very well animated. It's a good-looking movie. The guy who directed it is named, uh, a gentleman by the name of Tom McGrath, he direct, he's directed a few things. He did that Megamind movie, which was fine. He did the third Madagascar, which I liked, which was like the crazy, trippy, psychedelic Madagascar movie. And he has this weird I, – I, I don't know what this man does in his private life, but all of his movies feel like they were conceived on drugs. And they look druggy. And they're fun in that way. And this movie actually has some fun sequences. The other – there's a brother. It's sort of a sibling rivalry between the baby and, and his older brother. The older brother has an active imagination, and he imagines these elaborate sequences, which look beautiful. So the story is meh, but it's a good-looking movie. The joke is a – it's like the title is the only joke. I didn't really find it very funny. But it's, it's not terrible. It's just there's not a lot there. There might be some hot takes about because, of course, Trump. Alec Baldwin plays Trump and we have a baby boss who acts, you know, he's like very. He's I've heard th- he has a golden he toilet. He has a golden toilet. Yes, that is true. That is accurate. And so I imagine we're going to see that. But I, the movie was conceived like it's based on a book. It was conceived five years ago. I think any similarity to any president's is purely, you know, coincidental personally, in my opinion. But you can see it and judge for yourself. All right, let's get to behind the eight ball, where we wrap things up on the show with some new releases on streaming, some listener recommendations you guys have sent to us at our email address, which once again is svu at filmspottingsvu.com. and we also have one film chosen blindly by number from our my lists. Allison, I think you should go first this time.
0: Oh, well, because I just I will.
1: yammered on about oh, the uh, boss baby. I know there was a lot. There's a lot went about ugh, a lot about the boss baby, and what was that? I already forgot what the other movie. Life life the venom prequel life all right so are you ready to begin i am ready all right give me three new releases on streaming okay new and exclusive
0: to shutter is a movie called prevenge not revenge but prevenge this is a directorial debut of alice lowe who was one of the stars of the ben wheatley film sightseers she also wrote and stars in this movie while seven months pregnant It is a dark comedy in which she plays a woman who, due to distress over a development we eventually come to understand, has started to believe her unborn child is telling her to kill people, and you better believe she goes through with it. That's Prevenge. It is on Shudder.
1: I saw that movie at TIFF. I liked it. I liked it too. Uh, That's the real boss baby. That baby is a boss baby. That baby is definitely... A boss. That, and that a, movie that and makes a sadistic boss. That movie makes better use of its uh, central metaphor than mm-hmm. uh, Boss Baby does.
0: Uh, also new to Netflix is Evolution. This is Lucille Hadza Halilovic. That's what I'm going to go with. Sounds good. Yeah, uh, it's her second film. A creepy, often dialogue-free, dark fable of a movie about a group of kids growing up in this mysterious seaside town populated only by boys like them and their single mothers. There's definitely some body horror, but it is also this really weird coming-of-age story. It's kind of a bookend to uh, Hadzi Halilovic's uh, first film, Hadzi Halilovic. It's the first film, the 2004 film Innocence, which is set at a strange all-girls boarding school. And finally, new to Netflix is Fire at Sea. This is Gianfranco Rossi's Uh, Film, it was one of the year's five Oscar doc nominees. Uh, And while it didn't win, it is certainly still worth watching. Shot on the Italian island of Lampedusa, which because of its placement in the Mediterranean, is often chosen as a landing spot by migrants making the very dangerous crossing from Africa. Rossi juxtaposes the everyday life of a few of the islanders with the very harsh realities of the migrants, both in making it to the islands and in living there, kind of waiting to see if they'll be able to stay. There's no voiceover. There's no overt messaging. There's no section about what you can do to help. One of the things that I think the film does magnificently is portray that whiplash imbalance that is basically inherent to the idea of being a migrant or refugee, that you can come from a situation that is so dire, so dangerous or desperate that you have to risk your life and leave everything you know behind. And while just like a few hundred miles away is like stable normalcy, and that just requires like getting there and hoping that they will let you have a piece of it. Um, So that is Fire at Sea. It is on Netflix.
1: Okay, and how about two listener recommendations? I've
0: got one from Celine in Wichita, Kansas, uh, who recommended a few things. This is one of them. Uh, recommendation is for The Only Son, which is streaming on Filmstruck. This is Ozu's first talkie, and it follows a woman who sacrifices her son to get ahead. Years after the sacrifice, the woman makes a surprise visit to her son in Tokyo. It's a remarkably relevant story of a once golden boy now struggling to find his way in the harsh real world, and the way that changes and doesn't change the dynamics of his relationship with his mother. Thank you guys for constantly delivering such a great show. Thank you, Celine. That's a really good uh, and sounds like a lot of Ozu films. Extremely heartbreaking. Um, I have not seen that yet, but I should. It sounds great. And second one, short and sweet from Josh, who wrote Quest on Ciso" is a wonderful D and D campaign set in animation. To animation, I highly recommend <laughs> wow. it. Um, I'm intrigued. Uh, thank you for that,
1: Josh. All right. And how about one film chosen blindly by number from you? My list. It was very nice.
0: Thank you. Uh, you give me number 16. It is The Lovers and the Despot. Ooh. Ross Adam and Robert McKinnon made this 2016 doc about the South Korean actor Choi Eun-hee and her ex-husband, who was a director... Uh, Shin Sang-ok. Do you know what happened to them, Matt?
1: I, I don't, but I, I, I have heard about this documentary. Yes. Tell, tell they people are, what happened.
0: They were both kidnapped right. individually and re- by Kim Jong-il. Yes, They were brought to North Korea and uh, held there. To, made to develop the film industry in North Korea. Kim Jong-il was a big, big fan. Big movie fan. He was a big yes. movie fan and a big fan of both of them. Oh. And basically it was like, let's just bring them here. <laughs> make them work for my country. against their will yes
1: uh so that is the lovers and the despot and that is number i'm gonna 16. add that one I, I i heard about it and it sounds sounds like an incredible story i just didn't get a chance to catch up with it so it's going on my my list next all right matt are you ready yes i am all right give me three new releases all right first up i have a unique pro wrestling series lucha underground which has been playing for the last few years on robert rodriguez's El Rey Network and is now available, at least the first two seasons are on Netflix. It does have wrestling matches, but this is uh this is not your typical like WWE show. The the stories are about They're much more like fantasy and science fiction. If you're into weird cult movies, if you've ever seen or loved an old Mexican wrestler movie where guys like Blue Demon used to, like in his off hours, like when he wasn't wrestling, he would fight werewolves and vampires and things like that. If you like that, this show is for you. Uh, I don't have the El Rey Network, so I'm just getting to watch this show now after hearing about it for a while, and I'm really enjoying it. So that is Lucha Underground on Netflix. Uh, Next up, before the new episodes arrive on April 14th, I'm so excited about that, you can enjoy 20 different episodes of the original Mystery Science Theater 3000 on Netflix, and they have a really good assortment of episodes. Their lineup is basically like a greatest hits of the original MSC3K. They have Manos, the Hands of Fate. They have Catalina Caper, which is one of my favorites, which is like a teeny bopper surfer movie. They have Ega, which is a truly awful caveman movie. They have The Puma Man, which is maybe the most incompetent superhero movie ever made. And they have Space Mutiny, which I think over the years has been creeping up to Manos as perhaps the most beloved episode in the history of the show. If it's not number one yet, it's certainly number two or maybe even 1A. And if you haven't watched MST3K and you're excited or you're curious about this new show and you want to check it out ahead of time, this is a great place to start. Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, sort of a greatest hits collection on Netflix. Finally this week, I've got a movie I'm really looking forward to seeing, Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. It's a documentary I've been waiting to see for a while. It is available now on Hulu and Amazon, and it supposedly uh, explores through extensive interviews with the cast and crew, the circumstances surrounding the legendary cult classic and lost Roger Corman film, The Fantastic Four, I have seen that movie. It's not that lost. You can find it if you look for it. And uh, it is quite awful. And I have to imagine the making of this absolute turd was good for some interesting stories. So I'm quite excited to finally get to see Doomed on Hulu or Amazon. All right. How about two listener recommendations? First up, I have a recommendation from Ed Savoy in Harrisonburg, Virginia. He says, My listener recommendation is far from perfect, but interesting enough that I think it deserves a second look. It's Into the Forest... Streaming on Amazon Prime, I think it takes a bit more of a personal and atmospheric approach to a world undergoing great calamity. I'll admit the direction they chose to go with the ending was rather baffling to me, but all the same, I think it offers at least a little something new to the genre. So that is Into the Forest available on Amazon Prime, and that was a recommendation from Ed in Harrisonburg. Thank you, Ed. Next up, I've got a recommendation from Tim in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, who says... I'd like to take the opportunity to recommend Casey Affleck's project with Joaquin Phoenix. I'm Still Here, which is currently available on Amazon Prime. I think it's a masterpiece, and I've only ever heard people that hate it. You guys have probably discussed it at some point already, and I wish Affleck's alleged crimes hadn't happened at all, let alone during this film, smearing it even further. Thanks for your show. I think we ta- We probably talked about that movie on the old podcast, I think, didn't we? That sounds likely. I don't know if those archives, I haven't looked yeah. recently to see they if the may not old show still exists. Be around. They probably don't. But Tim, I have good news for you. You are not the only person that thinks this is a good movie because I like it too. Allison's just looking at me.
0: And my feelings are complicated.
1: Okay, it's complicated. Yes. Hashtag it's complicated. Exactly. Well, at least one of us can second Tim's recommendation of I'm Still Here, which is streaming on Amazon Prime. Thank you for the recommendation, Tim. All right, and how about one from your my list? You gave me number six. Number six on my my list this time is Star Wars: Colon the Clone Wars, which is the 2008 animated Star Wars movie. Which I don't know how I found it on Netflix recently, but I went, huh? I never saw that, and I realized it is a Star Wars movie, I guess, and I, I've never seen it, so I, I put it on there. Uh the plot description Obi-Wan Kenobi and his friend Anakin Skywalker spoiler alert the future Darth Vader fight to keep the republic together on the battlefield of the clone wars and actually I did like after I added this I did watch a few minutes of it and I got to say it was I uh I might wasn't winning you over uh no it was not the I thought the animation just looked Kind of terrible, like their faces. It was like a bunch of like department store mannequins, like with lightsabers. It that was, sounds creepy. It, it, it maybe it wasn't that creepy, but it just they were not very expressive. I don't know what it was. It wasn't wasn't doing it for me. So, anyway, Star Wars: The Clone Wars. That was my my list pick this time. We have some very interesting listeners' choice options for our next episode. It is a motley crew, if I may say so. I don't think. Tommy Lee is in any of them, but it's a Motley crew nonetheless. I, I think I have the first one here. You do. It is Welcome to New York, which is recently added to Netflix. It is the latest film from Abel Ferrara, a, a very interesting director, who I don't think we've ever talked about on this show. We could talk about him, yeah, I, I suppose. I don't think we have in any depth, certainly. We have probably recommended a movie of his yeah. here or there, but that's about it. It is based on what I love. It's the Dominique Strauss-Kahn Affair. I love when something is the affair. Uh, in the film, the character of Devereaux is closely based on French politician Dominique Strauss-Kahn. It tells the story of a powerful man, a possible candidate for the presidency of France, who lives a life of debauchery and is arrested after being accused of raping a maid at his mo- at his hotel. Not his motel. Um, this movie played at Cannes. But it played weirdly at Cannes. It was a, it was a very controversial film. I don't know that it ever got it. I don't, did it ever get a theatrical release at all? IFC Films bought it. And I think that they
0: demanded an R-cut, an R-rated version. And he, and, I, and then I want to say, like, Ferrara did not want to give one. And there was debate over whether he was contractually obligated to, to give one. Uh, so I think it, it played, apparently, according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong, yes. it played in one theater in the U.S., Wow. Uh, that it was made available on VOD. Okay, but I this has been the case for several of Ferrara's more recent films yeah, he's that they have trouble. run into legal so, problems. Like, like they've sometimes sold to a company, often IFC, yes, and then not gotten released for legal troubles that have cropped up after after the fact.
1: Right. Uh, if I didn't mention Gerard Depardieu is the main character, Jacqueline Bissett is also in the film.
0: Yeah, Charles yeah. Khan said he would slew sue for slander. I think this didn't, also, I don't think this played uh, at Cannes in as an official selection. They just played it during Cat. Oh, okay. Theater. My apologies. I stand corrected. <laughs> so, so a lot of fascinating stuff going on with this movie. I, yeah.
1: Okay. I stand corrected. I, I have to think we would have some things to talk about after having said all of that. Oh, I think there's a lot to talk about today. Yes. All In right. There. Yes. So that's option one. Welcome to New York, which is now available on Netflix.
0: Option number two is a movie I have mentioned already. It is Evolution. I will not say the director's name again. You've I promise. Done, I think you've done enough trying. We'll, we'll practice. A, we'll like. Should this win, we'll have time to practice before. This so is that, that alone
1: might be the the best reason to vote for it is to make us say that name over and over again.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it's not actually <laughs> that hard. Hilarious. It's just like when you look at it on paper, especially if you copy it from like the name uh, with all of the. Um, Accent marks on it. It looks very intimidating, and then I kind of get lost halfway through. Anyway, the director also, for a while, de- uh, I think was maybe even married to Gaspar Noé. So I believe so. Yes. Think of how that must have gone. <laughs> um, anyway, I I think Evolution is like a really neat, interesting, beautiful, creepy film. I haven't seen it, so
1: I would love to catch up with it. I will
0: say this: when I watched Cure for Wellness. A movie I liked all right. Mm-hmm. Mostly I thought about how good Evolution was. It was, was. like a, yes. a
1: Hollywoodized version of that. Version of Evolution, yep. yes. I have, you're not the first person to tell me that, actually. I've heard that from a few people. Okay, option number three. This is another really interesting pick. It is The Devils from 1971, the Ken Russell film, which is now available on Shudder. And the reason this is notable is that this particular version of Shudder, supposedly from what we've been following online, is that this original cut uh, or this sort of reassembled cut is I think how they describe it, is a version of the film that has never been released uh, I will read you what we found uh, online about this. When The Devils was released in 1971, it faced harsh criticism and censorship due to its holy trinity of intense violence, sexuality, and religious themes. It received an X rating in the UK and the US until a heavily edit, ver, edited version was eventually released. Until recently, film historians thought the original cut, cut was lost forever. Now cinephiles can stream a reassembled cut on And according to Shudder, this 109-minute version of The Devils, which runs six minutes longer than the R-rated cut that was previously available, is the longest unrated version of the film in existence. The British-made film has never been released on DVD in the U.S., only VHS. So this is really something unique and special. I'll read you the plot description. Set in 17th century France, The Devil stars Vanessa Redgrave as a hunchbacked nun named Sister... Probably Jean, who lusts after the town priest, played by Oliver Reed, when Sister Jean inadvertently accuses him of witchcraft, the town sets out on a gruesome witch hunt. Among the most notorious censored scenes were a nun orgy. So there you go. Wow. You don't see that very often. Yeah. I, I can immediately see why that ran into censorship, censorship yes. problems. Well, the good news is that the reassembled version of this is available on Shudder. And I have to imagine there would be plenty to discuss here as well. So that's option three, The Devils, available on Shudder.
0: Okay, which movie should we review on the next episode of Spotting streaming video Units? You choose. Send your pick to svu at filmspottingsvu.com or enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, April 3rd at noon. And after that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is at FilmspottingSVU, as well as on our Facebook account, which is Facebook.com slash FilmspottingSVU. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on the next episode, which will come out around Tuesday, April 11th.
1: FilmspottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies and TV shows we discuss The Film Spotting SVU Remix theme song is by Vince Vandal, and you can listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.bandcamp.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more recommendations and the movie review you pick, but in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer, and follow the show on there as well, at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice review, and that is where we share lots of streaming suggestions, both from you, the SVU listeners, and from ourselves, mostly Allison. Uh, and it is a great follow on Twitter. You should definitely be following the show on Twitter. You will get even more recommendations for stuff to stream at home. For Film Spotting SPU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening.